2: Welcome in. It's a numbers game here on v the Sports Betting Network. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Gil Alexander this week. Gil back from vacation next Monday, so a week from yesterday, so six days from today. He will be back at the desk and take over, and you get all of your usual programming. Uh, Let's begin with a little baseball here in this second hour because there is uh, some pretty interesting things that we should discuss from last night. Spin this forward into tonight. Our boy John Gant on the Hill later today. We'll talk about that. But I wanted to bring this up because it is – it's a really good lesson, I think, you know, always looking for lessons in terms of betting and what you can learn. And you had a pretty good example of what you talk about when we, see, when we say, like, hey, there are some underlying numbers for a guy to potentially put forward a effort that is not the same as what we've seen from his traditional numbers. And what I mean with that is James Kaprelian, right? James Kaprelian, we see last night, the uh, Wonderkin for the Oakland Athletics, uh, who has done a great job up to this point in terms of pitching. Uh, not so great last night in terms of the outing against the Seattle Mariners, right? Second time in the... Uh, Second, actually, consecutive start. He gets to see the Seattle Mariners lineup. Three and two thirds innings pitched. Five hits, three walks, four earned runs. Gave up a homer. Struck out three. So a very short outing for Caprellian, uh, and an ineffective outing at that. And Oakland ends up losing in extras. Mariners at plus one twenty four cash. And the game goes over the total. But this is what you mean by it, right? Because if you look at one of the things that again I like to use in terms of handicapping pitchers and and betting on them and and looking for some you know positive regression, whatever it is, is. A couple of things, right? One he could probably end the one thing that he had a small problem with, again, over a relatively short sample size. He's only pitched 21 and a third up to this point right now. Walks, right? Walking about 3.8 guys every nine innings. His batting average on balls in play, extremely low to this point, 222. League average is about 300, right? You look at the home runs, small issue, 1.2 home runs every nine innings, something you don't really like to see. But the key, too, if you look at the ERA now after that start, a 295 on the ERA, expecting fielding independent though, well over five at 5.26. Could probably an overall in the big picture could be a really solid, really solid guy in that rotation for Oakland. We've seen a lot of good flashes from him, right, up to this point. It's the reason why he has an ERA under three. But if you look at some of the underlying numbers with a guy like Caprelli and what you see from him from a pitching standpoint, there is some room for regression. We talked about it a little bit with Paul Spore yesterday as well in terms of some of the underlying numbers. And sure enough, the Seattle Mariners end up getting to him relatively early and have to win a nail biter. But those are the kind of things you really look for in terms of, right, the underlying numbers and what it could mean for a guy potentially regressing to a mean where they are, you know, they're. A bet against type spot, right? The market got as high as minus 138 on the Oakland Athletics yesterday. So coming back at plus 128, that's what you mean when you look for the underlying numbers. Again, Capellan is not going to be a bad pitcher, but there are some indication that it's going to get a little worse for him going forward. So we'll see how he continues to pitch as this moves forward in terms of his career this season. Now. This leads us to our next guy because we get Dodgers and, St. Uh, Dodgers and Cardinals to resume their series today. Uh, yesterday was great. A lot of fun. 9-4 win for the Dodgers, by the way. $1.82 favorite. Jack Flaherty leaves the game with a little bit of side tightness. I think it was a side strain was the official dundering and at-bat. So we have got to discuss now the universal DH thing. But Dodgers, $1.90, $1.80 favorite. Get the win over Flaherty and the Cardinals yesterday. Today, the Los Angeles Dodgers open up as a $1.65 favorite over our boy, John Gant, the guy who, of course, was um, drawing all of our ire at the beginning of last week because you just don't understand how he continues to do this. And this is another example of right the underlying numbers, and I think just your eyes, Right, tell you that, hey, there's something big coming for John Gantt at some point because he can't keep getting away with murder the way that he has in terms of the way that he's pitched. Sure enough, Dodgers right now up to a $2 favorite. And so the question, and it's pretty hard to discuss, right? So how do you, because the market actually seems to be pretty tight on this, like, hey, the market realizes that this regression is coming for John Gantt. This is what we're talking about. 181 ERA for John Gantt. But an XFIP that's over 5 at 5.04, he's got to walk – the numbers in terms of the walks are ridiculous, and that's why you expect this to come at some point. He's walking 6.2 guys every nine innings. He's only striking out seven. So that's a really poor strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's walking 15.4% of the batters that he's facing, and yet still in terms of the average against all these things, very very low. So you can't keep giving up guys on base and expect not to get punished for it. And at this point right now, he hasn't been. Imagine having a whip of one57 his whip is almost equal to his ERA, right? So you know that he's, he's getting away with a lot if you're looking at John Gant and what he has done up to this point. And a Dodgers lineup that is kind of slowly starting to wake up here a little bit is probably the one to make him pay for it at this point. So again, looking forward to like what John Gant is going to do today. You'd like a better spot than a plus 180 underdog and a $2 favorite on the other side. But John Gant, and looking at some of those numbers, another indication as to what you're looking at, right, for a pitcher and how a worse performance is probably on the way. Or, and there's guys, of course, that underlying numbers say he's pitching a little bit better than you should expect a guy like Jamison Tyon. It's Jonathan Von Tolba here on a numbers game. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, vsIN.com, the VSIN app, FUBO, Sling, Game Plus, iHeartRadio. I'm here at the South Point Studio and Amal Shaw. Host of the Nuts is nice enough to give us time as I openly try to steal the production job from Jacob Roach because Jacob Roach apparently gets ringside seats to hockey games, all, and I get absolutely nothing. So uh, I'll take half the price that Jacob gets paid if you just start buying me stuff. What do you think?
3: I, hey, hey, it wasn't me. That's all Mr. Derek Stevens and uh, Mike Palm, to their credit. I uh, appreciate them allowing myself and Jacob to tag along there.
2: Mm, so Mall doesn't think Jacob deserved that treatment. I think that's what we're gathering from this. Is that correct?
3: No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't say that at all. If anyone probably didn't deserve it, it was probably me. Uh,
2: All right. So uh, let's start. There's a lot to get to uh, in terms of the NBA. Uh, I'll ask you this. You know, you and I have connected on uh, you used to cover of course, the association way back in the day Uh, when I first got here, one of the very few people that would actually listen to me babble about the association at length. So up to this point, I'll let you take the steering wheel here. What has piqued your interest the most in the association in terms of the postseason at this point?
3: Well, I think there have been a lot of good series. We expected uh, Portland and Denver to be as competitive as it has been. The one thing I'd like to see these individual games be a little bit more competitive, but uh, I still lean towards Portland winning this series. I haven't figured out if they're going to win game five or game seven in Denver. But I believe uh, they're going to win game six at home. I think that's going to be very interesting. And I'll tell you another thing that's piqued my interest is, and you call this to your credit. You and I were on the opposite side. I like the New York Knicks. You like the Atlanta Hawks. Hawks with a 3-1 lead. But it's not just the fact that they've got a 3-1 lead. Let's be real here. They won game one, tight game. Game two, they really were dominant for about two and a half quarters. Knicks make a push in the late third, fourth quarter. And then game three and four in Atlanta, I didn't know if the Knicks actually got off the plane or not yet. But I know they're back in MSG. Hopefully they can bounce back. So they've been dominant there. And then, of course, this Lakers Sun Series. Um, I I know the Mavericks and Clippers are tied at two apiece, but both teams have played well at their their opposing gyms. Uh, But to me, the Anthony Davis situation, if this groin injury lingers, he's not as impactful. And uh, I think Mike Palm mentioned that you had said, without Davis in the lineup, you think the Lakers are a better team. I can appreciate where you're coming from. I think sometimes the force to get him involved maybe takes away from other guys. I think they need Caldwell Pope in that lineup. For me, the Lakers, the big thing is if they can just be engaged and healthier, I think they've got a great shot. I still believe they need AD to make the deep postseason push, but in this series, they may be able to steal it if they don't have AD possibly healthy for six and seven.
2: So I'll clarify a little bit. I don't think that the Lakers are better without AD. I think that remember that the, at the beginning of the year, like around the all-star break and all, there was this conversation because AD had gone down, LeBron James was flying solo, and there was this, hey, AD by himself with this Lakers team, that's a better team than the LeBron solo Lakers. To me, that's incorrect, right? The numbers dictate that between those two, like, lebron by himself without anthony davis with this collection of talent that team is better than anthony davis by himself without lebron james and that talent and the numbers dictated too i mean lebron james on the court without ad of plus 7.1 net rating i think overall what you're worried about is the non-lebron minutes right like when he goes to the bench in this game tonight if ad's not going to be out there that's going to get really ugly
3: yeah i would agree with you there i think this is a game if you're the lakers I mean, I'm, Look, I'm not saying you could sit there and just give a game away at this stage of the season. But the reality of it is you've got to hold serve at home. And then in game seven, you've got LeBron James, and you figure out a way to win that one on the road. Uh, I still have some question marks about Phoenix. I think they're still a solid team. I, I, I think, though, the one thing that's intriguing JVT is the Lakers are plus 148 to win this series. And Phoenix is 7-1 to one to make the, uh, win the West. I think there's an opportunity there. You take the Lakers either a plus price to win the series or you can take the Suns or both uh, because obviously one of these teams is going to merge and then Phoenix is going to have a great opportunity in their next two series where they're going to be short dogs, if anything. They're going to have some opportunities. I really like their chances in the next round against uh, Denver or Portland. So to me, it comes down to... which way you lean with this matchup, but I think they're a dangerous team at this point in time. I'm just not a believer in too many teams out West. You mentioned the Clippers. I think that's probably still the team to beat, even though a lot of people are overlooking them for their troubles at home so far.
2: Yep, and that series now tied to, too. You know, we, the kind of the running joke on the show has been uh, it is hilarious what a weekend changes, right? I'm all The Lakers looked like they were about to head to the Western Conference Finals, take care of business against Phoenix, looked like the Clippers were going to clip. And then sure enough, we have two 2-2 two, two series, uh, but the momentum for both teams is dramatically different. Uh, let's go to a couple of other topics on this before we move on overall. Uh, let me ask you this. Milwaukee, Miami, uh, I've been asked this a couple of times, Like, has your opinion changed on Milwaukee after taking out a Miami Heat team? So I'll ask you the same question. Has your evaluation of Milwaukee changed, and what was that evaluation before the series against Miami?
3: No, nothing has changed. I think they're still one of the top, obviously, top three teams in the uh, East. I still think, though, it's going to be difficult to square off against the, the trio that the Nets have, and including Joe Harris in terms of his ability to shoot the basketball. But JVT, for me, the thing is, It's not that Milwaukee dominated Miami. I think Miami's push last year in the postseason was more of an aberration than what we got out of them this year. I think this year was probably a little bit closer to their reality. Maybe they were a second-round team in the postseason instead of getting to the NBA Finals or getting swept in the first round. I think a little bit too much has been made about what Miami did last year, giving the Bucs too much credit in this postseason. Milwaukee still got to prove it when the chips are down. We've seen their struggles the last couple of years. I'm not sure as to why that's going to change this year. I still like Brooklyn to win that series in six games. Uh, I think Milwaukee can do well. They're going to have to really contain the perimeter shooting. You look at game four in Boston, 27 for 28 from the free throw line for the big three, 11 for 17 from the three-point arc. These guys are dangerous. I mean, mean, it's, it's just so tough to slow them down. So if, if you can contain those guys, then they got a great chance. But nothing has changed for me based on Milwaukee's performance against an overrated Miami team.
2: Really, we have all these injuries. From all everything going on in the Western Conference. Joel Embiid goes down yesterday with the knee injury. We'll see what's going to happen there. Th- this is all just opening the door for my Brooklyn Nets to just run all the way up to the NBA Finals and take this thing. Is it not?
3: It really is. I mean, there's a great opportunity, and Brooklyn's going to be the favorite in both series, assuming they get past Milwaukee, mm-hmm. uh, facing off against Philadelphia, despite the fact the 76ers have the home court advantage. It just feels like, to me, one of those teams you see, you know, the Lakers did it this year. Look, it was, didn't matter where the Lakers were seated; They needed to get into the postseason and then allow things to happen as they would. And I feel like the same way about Brooklyn. What, I think these guys played together in, in eight games during the regular season combined. Now you're seeing a healthy team, Kyrie focused, KD focused. I mean, they've become unstoppable. So I think it's going to be tough to knock them off. You can do it defensively, and then you've got to shoot the basketball well yourselves. And if Joel Embiid is injured for any length of time, uh, it's going to be bye-bye Philadelphia. All
2: right, we'll move on from the NBA with this. Three games tonight, Brooklyn up to a 12.5-point favorite, some spots 13, including your neck of the woods circa, with a total of 234. Denver laying 2, 226, and then Phoenix 5, 207.5. half. you have anything tonight in the NBA?
3: I I do not. Uh, The one that I was looking at potentially, and it's going to be an in-game play, is going to be Mm -hmm. Portland-Denver. I think Boston's going to be challenged tonight against Brooklyn. I think the Nets win this game. I'd probably lean towards taking the points with the Celtics, but I don't want to get involved in that one. And then the Lakers game, I just want to see how they play in the first half. And I think this is where the advantage comes in of potentially waiting around and seeing the situation. JBT Friday night, uh, the uh, Clippers-Mavericks game, you see, the Mavericks are up 15 points in the first half or first quarter, excuse me. Yep. And Lakers, uh, Clippers are catching five, and they end up winning the game, running away with it, and winning by 10. So I think the end game provides so many betting opportunities that are normally not there from the outset. It gives you an advantage to see how a game is flowing or how things are playing out.
2: Yeah, you could have gotten them. I I know this because I was in a it when I was at a bar. Full of Vegas Golden Knights fans. You were not. You were over at T Mobile Arena joined game seven uh, for the Minnesota Wild. Um, I was not invited. But regardless, uh, I was there and watching this Clippers game all by myself in a dark corner mall where everybody's watching hockey. Uh, in game money line, too, was like plus 275, three to one, somewhere in that range for the Clippers. So I would agree with that in terms of the sentiment. In game's a way to go. It's the way I'm going to be attacking Lakers and Phoenix tonight. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, speaking of hockey, speaking of the Golden Knights. Is the gap as big between Colorado and Vegas as we saw on Sunday? I feel like there's a gap between the two teams, but it's clearly not that big, right?
3: No, that, that's a little bit misleading simply because they got out to a fast start and Robin Leonard hadn't played since around May 10th and he gave up a couple of soft goals. But, and remember, Colorado also had the additional rest. They had a week off. Uh, BGK got pushed to seven games against the Minnesota Wild, so I think it was a perfect storm for the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I will tell you this. If you still allow these types of opportunities that they had on the power play and you give up power play opportunities against a team like Colorado, BGK's number one penalty kill during the regular season won't mean anything. And I think it'll be all Colorado in this series. The problem is the speed. McKinnon, mm-hmm. Lannis, Skog, Rantanen, these guys are just too fast, too good, and too skilled. And, and that's been the difference. Uh, so remember, both of these teams tied for wins in the regular season, but. Uh, The Colorado Avalanche got the President's Trophy, or it wasn't handed out this year, but what would have been based on virtue of winning more games in regulation time. I think Vegas is going to be a competitive team. I think this is still probably a six-game series. But Colorado's definitely the class, um, and I think they're just better than Vegas.
2: So what do you make of this price for game two? Because Mike Palm and I were talking about this yesterday, Maul. Avalanche are like $1. seventy-five, so you're talking about like probably about 10 cents more. DraftKings opened this up, minus two oh five. 2 But to me, like you're talking about game one being a terrible spot for Vegas, playing game seven, emotional against an opponent that has given them trouble all year long and for almost multiple seasons now. And then you go on the road to take on Colorado with your backup goaltender, right and now you're talking about game two with Marc-Andre Fleury back at net it seems like this price should be equal if maybe even a little bit shorter on Colorado just given the fact that the team is going to be a little bit better the situation's better and the goaltenders better
3: yeah I tend I tend to agree with you completely I think uh, that situation was just an aberration it was the perfect storm for Colorado when you look back on it and the other thing is though the way Colorado scored some of those goals in the in that game I will say the one thing, though. It wouldn't have mattered if Andre Fleury was playing yep. or uh, Robin Leonard. They would have still been in trouble. But I'm with you. I think the price is a little bit high. I'll tell you, I don't know if you've seen the series price. It's out of control. I think they like minus $5. And I yep. said to Mike, I said, you know what? They just made a mistake uh, before the series started. They had the wrong price to begin with. I don't think they realize the talent that Colorado has. And I don't know if the bookmakers got you know, just maybe bamboozled by the fact that everybody around them is a VGK fan or what. But when you look at the way uh, Colorado has played, and the speed, and the way they perform in the postseason, they made St. Louis look like a pedestrian team. And uh, so, I, I think that's going to be a real challenge here for Vegas going forward. It's not about obviously you got to win a game on the road if you're Vegas, but you've got to really have some fight in you. And that game, they had no fight. I mean, they looked like they were completely outclassed. They looked like a heavyweight versus a middleweight.
2: Yep, it was pretty bad. All right, so Vegas right now in the range of a dollar seventy-five, dollar eighty-five, highest price you can get on Vegas for Game Two in their series uh, with Colorado. Uh, any read on Tampa Bay, Carolina? There was a tightly played game first time around. Now we're looking at essentially a pick across the board. Some spots dollar twenty in favor uh, of Carolina minus one fifteen. This one again going down later tonight with a total of five and a half shaded to the under at minus one twenty-five. You know Carolina has been a team of them all that you know. As you read a little bit more, as you study these teams analytically, kind of a darling when it comes to five on five strength, but. I think kind of a disappointing series. Like some of those games against Nashville probably should have won more comfortably instead of going to overtime in every single one of them. The Lightning, of course, we know. The talent level there. I feel like Carolina should be better if I look at the numbers and then watch them play than I really see.
3: Well, I think, you know, if you're, if you're basing on the first game, give Tampa credit. They played mm-hmm. particularly well. But I still like this team in Carolina. Very dangerous. Sebastian Ajo has got to step up. He's got to be effective. And Territory Vine and He's going to have to be a difference maker. But when you look at Tampa, you know they were a forgotten team this year because Carolina played so well during the regular season. Everyone was talking about the Panthers. You still look at the talent. It's hard to argue outside of Colorado that any team in the National Hockey League is more talented. You know, you get Kucherov back. Remember, he missed the entire regular season, all fifty-six games. Steven Stamkos back in the lineup. Victor Hedman, to me, is still one of the elite defenders in the game. And then andre Vasilevsky. He's as good of a goaltender as there is, and I still give Tampa the edge. And as much as I like Brendan Moore, John Cooper, his teams have been good for the last six, seven years. They only won the Stanley Cup last year. Probably should have won a couple of the previous seasons to that. I think it's going to be a real challenge for the Hurricanes. They've got to be tremendous on the special teams where they've been great all year. They are top three in penalty kill and power play. They've got to continue to maintain that. Um, But to your point, they've got to uh, make hay on the five-on-five opportunities because... We know that this Tampa power play, it'll get some opportunities and they will capitalize on them. Uh, I, and this game is a toss-up because this is a very important game for Carolina. You can't go down 0-2 going back to Tampa. It'll be a real challenge. You know, you look at Vasilevsky this year during the regular season, I think like 18-3 and or 18-2, and uh, not to mention what he did in the postseason. So if you're Najelkovic, you got to play well. It didn't play bad in the first game. It just was unfortunate for them. They came up a little bit short, giving up two goals to one. Um I would have personally liked to have seen Peter Mrazek in net at some point in time. Njelkovic played all six mm-hmm. games against the Preds, uh, and we have not seen a switch there, but they're going to go, it appears, with Njelkovic and ride him. Uh, we'll see what happens. But JVT, I, I don't particularly like a bet in this game because I think it's a toss-up, but the one I might consider looking at is possibly an under five-and-a-half here. I think both these teams are good enough defensively to negate either side in terms of what they're able to do offensively.
2: All right, let's ask you this then before we get you out of here because uh, we did see the Washington – or excuse me, the uh, Boston Bruins and the New York Islanders. That series gets knotted up uh, as we look at those two. Uh, Almost a collapse from the New York Islanders. Good second period. Third, you give up two and you go to overtime. You eventually got to take that. So let me ask you this. I mean, when I watched that, you look at some of the numbers, felt like the Islanders kind of got away with one. The the Bruins I thought were really solid in that third period. It was more indicative, I think, between these two clubs. So now as we move forward and this series is tied, what do you expect of this series going forward? Because I still think – I have some pretty solid confidence uh, in Boston.
3: Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, the one thing you look back in game number two, I was surprised the Islanders squandered that 3-1 lead going into mm-hmm. the third, third period. However, they got two goals on the power play and uh, out of three opportunities. If you're the Islanders, you're going to have to capitalize on that, but you can't rely on that, and I think that's the difference. I think Boston at even strength is by far the better team. You know, the Islanders still without Anders Lee, that makes a difference offensively. I think in any five-on-five situation, you're going to favor Boston. I like their chances. They just defend so well. If you go back to the trade deadline, they have been the best team post-trade deadline defensively in the National Hockey League. They have been tremendous. Tuka has played extremely well. So if you're the Islanders, it's special teams that are going to be the key, stopping Boston when they're on a the power play and then capitalizing when you have a chance. And then you've got to hope for a little bit of luck like we saw in overtime, uh, getting the game-winning goal there. I-, I-, I still favor Boston here probably in six. But I think they'll come out of the island with at least a 2-2 split. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they take both games in New York.
2: Amal, real quick, what's coming up on the Nuts today?
3: Uh, We're going to talk a little NBA. Get ready for this uh, Lakers-Suns game tonight. Very critical game number five coming up in that series. We'll get into that in the other two series as well.
2: Amal Shaw, one up on Twitter. Amal, good to talk to you, but thank you.
3: Thank you very much. By the way, uh, Dodgers run line over John Gannon.
2: Oh, there it is. Yes, we hate John Gant on this show. We will will appreciate anything in terms of a bet against John Gant. All right, we'll come back. We have plenty to get to. More hockey with Dwayne Colucci at the bottom of this hour. It's a numbers game here on v
0: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's
2: a numbers game presented by BetMJM. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel, filling in for Gil Alexander. Gil will be back. Next Monday, so you only got three more days left with me, 25 minutes left today, and then three more after that. We have a good week planned, good week planned. I know Jason's insanely excited for this fight night card coming up this weekend in the UFC. You big Rosenstruck fan, huh? So excited. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of mix-up earlier in the week. But regardless, still, we will cover it because uh, that is going to be a really interesting card. Uh, UFC always does a good job putting these together. Even the free cards have been a lot of fun. Uh, all right, let's talk about a couple of things in Major League Baseball. I, I didn't mention this in passing, and hopefully we'll get Weingarten on later in the week to discuss this with him. I know he's big on some of the futures, but, you know, we were a very pro Ray show here yesterday when it came to the matchup, right, with the New York Yankees. And overall, this Rays team has been absolutely fantastic. Right in the month of May, a franchise record in terms of uh, career wins and record twenty-two and six in the month of May. They've won sixteen out of seventeen games. The offense has been t- fantastic. Guys like Meadows have been churning out offense left and right. So this Rays team, they have pretty much everything you want to work with at this point right now. Right, they have an offense that is working um, at its peak. We're probably going to obviously take a step back here, uh, but you have also a pitching staff that is absolutely fantastic from top to bottom. A true frontline ace in Tyler Glasnow. A lot of bullpen depth. You have a manager that I think is one of the best in Major League Baseball in Kevin Cash. Like, There's a lot to work with for this raised team. And a team that currently has a two-game lead over the Red Sox, who I think are probably going to take a step back in terms of their contention in this division. A five-and-a-half-game lead over the Yankees and six-and-a-half over the Blue Jays. So plenty of time left. But at this point right now, the way that this team is built, the way that this offense has been playing, and the fact that, of course, we, we know that this team uh, can do it. They have done it. I like this team a lot in the big picture, so I bet yesterday. Those are via BetMGM. It's exactly where I got it. Rays at plus two seventy-five to win this division. Uh, I do believe that there is some value in this. You know, when we talk about that, right? The simulating a thousand times more often than not to the Yankees, right? Win that, and I think it's the Rays that actually win that more often than not, given the makeup of this club. And and, and here's the other thing too. Yankees look. We've talked about the health and the guys in and out of the lineup and everything. The pitching staff has been very good for them. Domingo Herman's is going to be on the Hill tonight, uh, who has been off to a solid start as well. They have a lineup that I think is one, you know, obviously one of the best in Major League Baseball. But you think there is some issues along the lines in terms of their pitching depth. And overall, too, what has been their issue, I think, in a lot of these games, we saw it over the weekend against Detroit, that this is not one of the better defensive teams in Major League Baseball, the New York Yankees. So I do think that there are reasons why – I think that the Tampa Bay Rays, it should be a much tighter straddle. I can understand that the Yankees being slightly at the favored, right at the top, but I'm still thinking like a a plus price in the range of like plus 120 or something for the Yankees to win this division, not minus 110 or so. And I think they're the Rays and the Yankees think are pretty tight in terms of the difference between these two teams. So very much worth it. And the other thing I find really fascinating, and I can't wait to pick the brain of somebody about this, because you know what else happened last night? Is as the Chicago Cubs took it to Chris Paddock and the San Diego Padres. Paddock gave up three solo shots. The Cubs overall hit five home runs. Javi Baez had two of them. Wisdom had two as well. So this is now a Chicago Cubs team that quietly we talk about right the Tampa Bay Rays, AL Best 22 and 6 franchise record in terms of the winning in the month of May. Cubs were an NL best 19 and 8 in May. And I wonder if this is legitimate as well. You see this here—the price, at least for today, but yesterday—that seven-to-two win for them as an underdog. You know that Paddock, Paddock numbers are pretty high, at least in terms of you know, the Padres already have some respect. Paddock, a well-known pitcher, I think for the most part by public betters. So you were laying a pretty nice price with the Padres, who ended up losing that game. And I do think it's kind of worrisome because in years past, right, the issues for Paddock have been the home run, and you saw that in a big way yesterday. But regardless. You wonder if this Cubs team and what they've been putting forward in the month of May is legitimate, right? Because this has been a lineup that in years past and this year at times has been very swing or miss, right? Boom or bust in terms of what they've been able to do. But at this point right now, we're talking about a team that is 12th in terms of weighted runs created plus, according to fan graphs. You have a team that overall has been performing at a really solid level. Do they strike out a lot? Yeah, they do. But a lot of these teams do at this point right now, as we kind of know, right, the three true outcomes. I think you definitely want to see the strikeouts get cut down in a big way because that has been a big issue, and that's why this offense can run so cold. But You're talking about as a lineup, the ninth highest strikeout rate in Major League Baseball. But I do wonder if this is an over-reliance on power for a a team like the Chicago Cubs, but overall, man, you got to be really impressed with what happened in the month of May for Chicago and the way that this team has been performing. And I just wonder how much legitimacy is there. Because the Cardinals are like this, like, even-keeled, just okay team that looks like they have the makings of winning a division, right, just barely a, a division that maybe is going to win, like, you know, 80-ish games or something like that. The Brewers, of course, have two top-end pitchers and a really good bullpen. But I, I, I have been very intrigued by what the Cubs did in May and the legitimacy of what that's going to be going forward. All right. We're going to have Dwayne Colucci coming up in, uh, we'll call it, 15 minutes from now. We get the bookmaker's perspective. Uh, we had quite the collapse in the National Hockey League, right, in terms of that series between Montreal and Toronto. So we discussed that. Jason, very happy. He has been all over the Montreal Canadiens. And now, of course, his futures ticket very much alive in the National Hockey League. 30 more minutes here on A Numbers Game. Don't go anywhere. Baseball season in full swing, so it's a perfect time to work on cashing tickets every day. Our VSIN experts give you all the tools to make the most of every baseball bet, including live odds and analysis for every game on vsin.com/slash MLB and our daily members-only best bet emails. Now is the time to start your free trial. Take advantage of all the betting opportunities this baseball season at vsincom slash subscribe. It's Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Gil Alexander here on a numbers game. Uh, two more things to touch on in baseball very quickly before we move on. Uh, first off, we do have a starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers tonight. It was TBD for a moment. David Price is going to get the start for Los Angeles, which leads us into uh, one of the plays for today. Uh, look, we have been a very anti-John Gant show since I have taken over, so all of like, what, six days, seven days. Um, but... There's a lot of reasons to be somewhat anti-John Gantt, not as a person. John Gantt is probably a fine, upstanding human being. Uh, But in terms of what he's been doing as a baseball player, for lack of a better term, getting away with murder, uh, having a walk rate that is insanely high, having a whip that is nearly equal to his uh, ERA that is just under two at about 1.8, there is a lot to dislike about John Gantt and the numbers that he has put up up to this point. And to give the market credit too by the way, and this is something that we touched on last week. I can't I can't remember if it was with Winegardner or with Sporer, uh, but they mentioned that hey, you know what? The market has kind of been pretty strong in realizing that something is coming for John Gant. Today, Dodgers $2 favorite with Price on the Hill, minus one and a half, even money on the run line. Uh, and David Price, to give him credit to, very short sample size, 16 and a third so far this season, but he's been solid across the board. 3.31 on the ERA, expected fielding independent of 2.37. Strikeouts on par with the season. Uh, last time we saw him in 2019, you put it that way. Home runs, a little bit of an issue, but a little unlucky in terms of the batting average on balls and play over this short and early stint. I think that this is a really... Solid spot to play against John Gantt and what he's been putting out there. The blow-up is coming. It might be tonight. So minus one and a half at plus 102 over at Circa. One of the better run line prices in. Do it. Lock it in. So Dodgers, hopefully they get the win there because I put my money on it. But I think this is a very anti-John Gantt play for the most part. So if we come in, boy, if you think we dislike John Gantt now. I keep saying we like Jason's in on this. If, we, if you think I like to dislike John Gantt now, let's see what happens tonight. If he continues to get away with this. Won't be happy. All right, last thing, too, Jacob DeGrom, because uh, very big Jacob DeGrom stand over here. Wanted to note this, and this is one more from Buster only on the greatness. Jacob DeGrom season, four runs, three RBI as a hitter, 9 of 20, 4.50. Four runs allowed in 51 innings as a pitcher. Who says Shohei Otani is the only two-way guy, huh? Jacob DeGrom has been absolutely fantastic. And also, I mean, look, so what? At the beginning of last week, took Brandon Woodruff at 15-1 to win the Cy Young in the NL. This guy's not going to even let... Woodruff or anybody else sniff it it's insane what this guy has been able to do again yesterday multiple pitches of 100 miles an hour had a really nifty strikeout a 101.4 early on in the game didn't go long but deGrom's absolutely incredible man the way he can actually turn these pitches out is looks effortless touching 101 regularly in a lot of these starts so there you go Jacob DeGrom we drool over you at least one more time but slow down a little bit so my guy Woodruff can actually potentially win this award huh give me a little bit of uh give me a little victory here. All right. Let's move on. We did not talk about a single there's a single game that is on the board right now uh, that we have not discussed at all in the association. And why would we? Right? It seems like the gap between these two teams is pretty large. And that would be the Celtics and the Nets later tonight. Nets, 12-point favorite tonight over the Boston Celtics with a total of, 233 and a half. Again, I will mention one of my favorite numbers in terms of this series. Overall, the Boston Celtics in the last two games, an offensive rating of 130.1 and a net rating of negative 4.7 because the Brooklyn Nets are just that good offensively. So, But this is – I kind of wanted to tie this into what I was talking about earlier in the show with Memphis and Utah, right, and also Philly and Washington because you see the Nets here as a 12-point favorite, right? Go back to game one between these two clubs. We're talking about, right, a series that was eight – eight and a half, somewhere in that range. And look, we have a lot of injuries to discuss too, right? Kemba Walker, Robert Williams, being listed as doubtful for the game five matchup. So that is something to consider here as well. But the Nets, you know, we've seen the market kind of adjust a little bit early in the series in terms of respecting the Brooklyn Nets and the Celtics are just up against it. If Williams and Walker aren't going to play tonight, that's going to be a massive problem. Again, just asking the world of Jason Tatum to score about 50 points a game to keep you in a lot of these numbers is going to be a problem. Now, I think you do have some possibilities Positivity coming from something like this to the fact that a Jason Tatum solo led team essentially can drop an offensive rating of 130 against the Brooklyn Nets. And maybe that keeps you within a number like this 12 that is clearly pretty inflated at this point. But again, the injuries to Walker and Williams are factored into this. But I will be pulling hard for the Nets. So look, this is a series that I figured four or five games had wagers on both of those. The Nets, I don't think, want to play with their food at this point right now. Eliminate the Boston Celtics, get rested and ready to go with a massive matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks coming up in the next round. They open up as a $1.80 favorite, the Brooklyn Nets over Milwaukee. And that seems about fair. You know, we we had discussed this before, where you open that series price. $1.50 to $1.80 seemed about the range. And sure enough, the $1.80 price tag. Uh, But that is a matchup that, again, right? And this is going to be in Point Spread Weekly in terms of a full-on preview between these two clubs. But... On the surface, the Milwaukee Bucks do have something to throw at the big three, right? Chris Middleton, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and, of course, Drew Holiday can match up with that big three in terms of a physical standpoint. How it actually works out, though, is going to be fascinating because we have not seen that matchup at all. But the Nets, again, 12-point favorites tonight against the Boston Celtics. Wouldn't be really surprising. The Celtics have put up some pretty good starts in this series overall, you know, covering some first halves, slowing these games down. They are a well-coached team. Right? And so in a lot of these situations where we see elimination games, we saw the Miami Heat have a very good first half before they got eliminated by Milwaukee in game four. Really, the third quarter was the big difference there. And we've seen Boston multiple times in first halves against this Nets team. And, of course, we saw them win one. But we've seen multiple times now that they are at least able to slow this team down and at least stay within some big numbers and potentially lead. But, again, this is always something you want to watch out for because I thought this kind of stuck out. I'm going to pull this up to get the exact number. Because I always say, right, if you know it, they know it. You're not really getting much of a discount in terms of looking at first half and first quarter plays. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets, seven in terms of what they're going to lay in in the first half there. First quarter, of course, too. If you're looking at the Nets to absolutely demolish uh, Boston in this one, you're laying four and a half or four in the first quarter. So seven in the first half, four in the first quarter. Not exactly a value play when you're looking at it from that perspective. So if you're expecting that the Brooklyn Nets are going to come out, excuse me, And absolutely run over the Boston Celtics with almost nobody playing. A lot of that is baked into the number. Should also note really quick before we get out of here and transition for the rest of the show into the NHL. Denver looks like getting some support here. Opens up one and a half. Now two across the board with a total of 226. And their game in which they can take, of course, a 3-2 series lead over the Portland Trailblazers. Portland, by the way, recommended by Drew Dinsick in terms of a futures play in the Western Conference and in the big picture. Likes that uh, closing five. You can't really argue that. And the Phoenix Suns, five-point favorite, total of 207.5 in their matchup with the Los Angeles Lakers. No word yet on Anthony Davis, so we'll see how that comes down throughout the day. With that, we move on to the National Hockey League. Dwayne Colucci, manager of the Rampart Race and Sportsbook, is going to be with us on the other side. We had a Titanic collapse in the NHL, so we have a series to discuss as well because Winnipeg has been sitting back and waiting for their opponent, but now they have it. It is Jason's Canadiens, and who's going to take it? Well, we'll find out that and much more with Dwayne Colucci on the other side. wager on the Lakers or Suns into $100 if either team hits a three with BetMGM. Just use bonus code VSYN100 when you sign up for the King of Sportsbooks and get ready for showtime. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com for more details or details. What kind of a person are you? Make sure to use the promo code vcin 100 New customer offer paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You've got to be 21 of years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C. or West Virginia only excludes Michigan's disassociated persons. Please Gamble responsibly. Gambling problem, 1 800 522 4700 in Colorado, Nevada, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1 800 gambler in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1 800 bets off in Iowa, Tennessee. Colorado, Texas, the red line 800 889 9789. Indiana, 1 800 with their promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right. Dwayne Colucci, nice enough to give us some time here today as we discuss everything when it comes to the National Hockey League. And Dwayne. We do have some things to discuss here that we saw unfold over the last few evenings. But first off, let's start here. Toronto. What in the world happened here? The Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. We had you on the other day. We discussed this, right? For those who didn't know, the, the swing on the price, right, for Toronto throughout the series. At the beginning of the series, talking about minus 134 in the openers of these games to lay in over $2. And sure enough, they lose a 3-1 series lead, and Montreal moves on in game seven, gets a 3-1 win over Toronto. What happened?
4: Well, John, you got to think that it's a little mental at this point with yep. the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, uh, you know, it's just, it just goes on and on and on. I believe their last playoff series win we discussed was 2004. And Montreal, you know, who is definitely, uh, you know, a solid team just got under their skin with gritty play. And Carey Price could always get in your head, John. I mean, this, this guy played last night. It was just phenomenal. He's playing right now at a top, top level. And that is scary because that makes, The Canadians definitely dangerous. And what Montreal also was able to do, the defensive core was able to shut down Mitchell Marner as well as Austin Matthews. And if you saw the game last night, Hyman was taking a lot of the key shots, and he's just not as effective scoring the puck as Matthews and Marner, and then you compound it with Marner making a lot of turnovers. And Montreal just played a sound, sound game. They're getting solid play, and I think it was really important when Brendan Gallagher lit the lamp. That kind of signified that Montreal was here in this game seven to impose and really play hard. And uh, things just fell into place, and Carey Bryce was phenomenal. I mean, some of those saves were just unbelievable, and now you carry it into a series against Winnipeg peg who's been waiting for uh, a week about so it's going to be interesting to see how the goalies are structured will uh, do make the same move that we did out here in Vegas that the Bo made will Jake Allen start game one that's going to be interesting but I think Carey Price is a little different than Mark Andre Flurry John at this point of his career I think Price could definitely sustain and play game one just because of the fact he was also on that concussion protocol towards the end of the season and so that out multiple weeks so he should be fresh I mean 30 saves last night they're getting Corey Perry who's chipping in to Foley got on the scorer sheet Montreal's going to be tough even though they were three and six against Winnipeg this season.
2: Yeah, Canadians down from that 3-1 or down 3-1 in that series, eliminating Toronto from ESPN. The Maple Leafs have now lost eight straight series-clinching games and extend their league-leading 54-year championship drought. So tough time, tough time for the Toronto Maple Leafs and their fans. So let's talk a little bit about that series overall. Then, Dwayne, you know, we saw some series openers. Winnipeg minus 130, Montreal plus 107. Obviously very important to see, as you mentioned, what they're going to handle, how they're going to handle game one from a goaltender perspective. I'd agree with the sentiment too, right? For the most part, we were talking with Andy McNeil the other day. You know, I think you still, it might be an old school mentality, but I think you still want to see your one goaltender kind of take you through the postseason for the most part. The Canadians might have it, but what do you make of the series as a whole between the Jets and the Canadians and that series price of $1.30 in favor of Winnipeg?
4: Yeah, I'm just noticing too. We took some heavy action on Winnipeg, John. Yeah. We're now sitting at a dollar forty-five at the uh, Rampart and South Point, and you know it's understandable. They're rested. They have a winning record against Montreal this year. Reigning uh, Vezina Trophy winner Connor Hellebuck is definitely a monster. Winnipeg definitely has some really go-to guns. Mark Scheifele has played really well, and just the way they were able to shut down Edmonton and just dominate Connor McDavid, Seidel, and those guys. It was a true testament but you know what you deal with with toronto and edmonton john are teams that just are notorious for disappearing in the playoffs i mean uh, you saw a maurice richard trophy winner just not score in austin matthews so if montreal could definitely get price hot and shut down connor and ellers and shyfully it could be a long drawn out series i think montreal has a chance you see the opening game line is very low I agree with you, John. I would stick with Carey Price. And if Shea Weber and those defensemen could definitely impose their will against, uh, you know, Austin Matthews and Marner, they could definitely do it against Winnipeg. And they are faced again with playing on the road. It's going to be a long series in my opinion, but I definitely think the Canadians have a chance. That's why we uh, had the odds so low on the openers.
2: Yeah, Canadians again. As you see that price that uh, Dwayne referring to for game one, Jets minus 125, Canadians plus 105 with a total of five and a half. uh, Shaded to the under at minus 135. All right, let's get to some of the action and what it's been like for some of these games. Uh, One, only tonight, Dwayne. uh, But what is the Rampart scene here for Tampa Bay and Carolina? Carolina right now, slight favorite, uh, about minus 115 or so with a total of five and a half variations of shaded there. And what you think of what's going to happen here in game two between these two clubs?
4: Well, I think this is an interesting series. I mean, now what you're starting to see is definitely the respect that Tampa Bay merits. And Vasilevsky is a monster. You know that. And they're just so deep. Stamkos is playing well. They were able to go in there and steal game one. Uh, I believe they're going to go with uh, Nadelkovic again in between the pipes, the Hurricanes, Rod Brindamore. They really have to step up. I think there's some pressure now on Sebastian Ajo. I think he has to perform uh, for them to definitely compete. Pete in this series. Vasilevsky made 37 saves the other night. He was just unstoppable. And he's won nine of his last play, uh, 12 playoff starts dating back to last season. So I, I think the lightning on the team, I-, I preached earlier on when I was on some of these segments, John, look for that price. Tampa was you were able to, if you shop you were able to get 10 to 1 on this team to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, Kucherov sat out the whole season now he's back. Hedman, all these guys, I mean Sorelli, they just play a gritty type of hockey and I think it's enough to get by Carolina, but I think this is a pivotal game for the Hurricanes tonight. They really have to show up, they have to play well. Like I said, I think Aho will get on the score sheet tonight and I think you're going to see a different Carolina game. I I think what happened to Carolina in the previous series, and I think you said it earlier on the show today, they got involved in too many overtime games mm-hmm. that they necessarily didn't need to play against Nashville. And Sarro started to gain some momentum, started to feel strong. That series got a little more drawn out than expected. I really expected Tampa to just destroy Florida. I knew Florida was going in with goaltender problems. As great as these teams, Carolina and Florida looked in the regular season, This is a totally different scenario, John. So I like Tampa. I think that Tampa is going to win the series. But tonight, I think that Carolina will get a game. If they ever happen to lose in front of another 16,000 fans, another game, John, they're going to have their backs against the wall and they could be facing a possible sweep if Tampa gets the, uh, the wheels rolling at home.
2: Let's go to another series uh, that we've seen, and we're not going to see a game three for a minute, but the New York Islanders, uh, I-, I think, kind of steal one, Dwayne. They get to tie this up against Boston. You know, It was one of those games where they had the big second period, dropped three goals, uh, but I think in that third period, you saw a little bit more of what Boston's really capable of right? tying that game up, and I think that's more like this series is going to dictate. Statistically, the Bruins have had kind of the edge here. Uh, am I wrong in my assessment that the Islanders got one here very good to take home ice, and now you come back, but this Bruins team, it, they've just been playing really well, and I, I I I think that third period is more indicative of how the series is going to play out over the long haul as opposed to the Islanders dropping three in a single period of play.
4: Yeah, John, that's a good point. I mean, if you watch that third period, and I watched that whole game last night as well as the Montreal game, uh, that third period was incredible. Marchant was all over the ice. Bergeron got the score from the uh, slot. And you see how effective that line could be when it starts to turn it up. And they really had the ice tilted. And, you know, Valamov did play well. He had some good goals, but he did give up some weak ones. And it's going to be a long series. I think it's very difficult to win in Nassau Coliseum. John, And as you get more and more crowd there, it's definitely going to affect, but Boston is the team that could sustain that. They're so, I I, got to say, well coached. That top line is amazing. They're going to get past the knock involved now. Bergeron, like I said, Marshawn, took Rask. If he steps up his play a little, they're definitely a team to watch. I think they're going to be Tampa's foe to go to the Eastern, uh, you know, to the Stanley Cup finals. And uh, Boston is very difficult because when they flip the switch, it's just a totally, totally different team. That third period was so dominating last night. And you have to take it to consideration when Rask is at the top of his game, they were fourth in goals against average this year, John. Mm -hmm. So we know Boston has the complete pre- package. They definitely have stepped it up in these playoffs. You could see that by round one, the dismantling of Washington. It was just so impressive. Then they came out and just destroyed the Islanders in Sorokin in game one of that series. So the Islanders did steal one last night, but give them some credit. I mean, Barzal played well. is played well. Uh, JG Pajot, he was uh, timely. He was in the right spot at the right time. And if Boston does make mistakes, that how a barry Trotz team is john they know how to capitalize on the mistakes and if you watched in the overtime the islanders got really physical they started to really pound the body checks and that's going to be very important if they're able to check and somewhat knock boston off their edge they definitely have a chance in this series but we know boston is the better team it's just if they make mistakes and if rask is a little shaky and the islanders are there to capitalize then it could be a different series.
2: Dwayne, good to talk to you, my friend. Thank you very much for the time today.
4: John, you're the best always. I appreciate you having me on.
2: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And why Dwayne up on Twitter? You hear that, huh? The best. The best. Adam Stanko was excited to talk to me today. I feel like that was more of a professional courtesy than anything else. But All right, we are all done here. Lombardi line coming up next. Brady Cannon's already getting the earpiece in and ready to go. If you miss any part of this show, any part of Follow the Money, any part of your favorite shows after this one as well, vcin.com slash podcast. You find everything in terms of regular programming and podcasts like Hardwood Handicap with mine, which comes out on Thursdays and a little bit more frequently than that. It's Lombardi Line coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow.